This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. The Holy Spirit continues to set hearts on fire with the love of Christ and inspire people to bring the good news to a world that is aching to hear it. Welcome to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. Now, here's your guide on this grand adventure, Catholic singer, songwriter, author, and speaker, Miriam Marston. And welcome back to Blazing the Trail here on Mater Dei Radio. My name is Miriam Marston, and I'm so grateful to have this time with you each week as we explore the call to follow Christ and to share with others the joy that comes from following Him. And this life of following Jesus, of discipleship, it's the place where vocations are born. So that means a disciple might end up getting married, having children, perhaps becoming a priest or a religious sister or brother, or perhaps becoming a permanent deacon in the church. Isn't it amazing that we have these different pathways of responding to God's love in our life? And to help us look more closely at this theme of vocation, I invited Sister Charlene Herrings to come on the show to share a little more of her own story and discernment, and also what she's learned and experienced as a vocations director for her religious community. She's a member of the Sisters of St. Mary of Oregon, which was founded in Oregon in 1886. You'll hear Sister Charlene mention how life growing up on a farm could sometimes be unpredictable, depending on weather and other circumstances. But she remembers how her dad used to say, God has a plan and we would do fine. And I just loved that anecdote because that whole approach, that confidence in God's providential care, is really an essential part of any vocational discernment, to trust from the outset that God really does have a plan for each of our lives. And if we stay in the current of that trust in His grace, we're going to be okay. And Sister Charlene's story is another reminder that vocations aren't discerned in a vacuum. These are not isolated endeavors cut off from the rest of life or family or relationships. In fact, it's precisely within the framework of one's family, friends, interests, hobbies, that a vocation begins to take shape. And then there's a whole network of evangelical activity that emerges when we look at how God has drawn men and women to Himself, and by doing so, draws faith-filled people together from different parts of the world, different communities. We get a glimpse of this when Sister Charlene maps out some of the connections between the Sisters of St. Mary of Oregon and the Sisters of the Most Precious Blood, and again, her cultural connections to St. Damien of Molokai and St. Marianne Cope and Servant of God Joseph Dutton. All this to say, we are not called to follow Jesus merely as individuals, each pursuing their own path and utterly unconcerned about where God is leading others. But rather, we're on this path together. We're invested in a certain way in the vocations of others. Because our vocations and mission and charisms overlap. Because they're all swept up into the one mission of Christ. That is to go and make disciples of all nations and to build His kingdom here in anticipation of the heavenly Jerusalem that awaits us. So I'll let Sister Charlene take it from here and I'll be back with a few vocational reflections on the other side of the interview. 
I'm joined by Sister Charlene Herrings, who serves as the Vocation Director for the Sisters of St. Mary of Oregon. Sister Charlene, it's great to have you on the show today. How are you? I'm very fine, thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, Well, it's a real joy to welcome you to Blazing the Trail. And Sister, I would love if you could share with us how Christ was shared with you. What did that look like? What led you here? Well, when I was young, um, my family was very Catholic. And so it was a matter of um, mass every um, Sunday. And my mom led the rosary every evening. And what was so impressive to me now, um, and a little bit then, I guess, was that she would lead the litany of the Blessed Virgin Mary by heart. No, No book needed. And so um, I think that might be the beginnings of my um, interest and um, love for Mary. And uh, so I'm so grateful for that childhood where it was really obvious that religion was important to my parents and grandparents, actually, too. Sister, did you grow up in Oregon? Yes, I did. I'm about 20 miles from the mother house here in Beaverton in a little parish St. Francis of Assisi in Roy, Oregon. Um, My family had a dairy farm. And so I had the wonderful experience of chores and doing those kinds of things that uh, many students these days don't have that same knowledge of of, uh, God's goodness to, to people through farming. Oh, I love that. Speak a little bit more about that, just how you how your faith uh, deepened uh, just through that experience of what you were doing on the farm? Well, you know, so much just depends on um, circumstances and weather and those kinds of things. And um, we had some very interesting um, times when um, it was paycheck to paycheck. But the fortunate thing was that dad had dairy cows. And so it was, Um, a a regular income in that sense, but there were always um, failures in crops and not always, once in a while, there were failures in crops that, but dad was very faith-filled and was determined that, um, you know, God had a plan and that we would would do fine. Love that. Now, did you attend Catholic school? Yes, I I attended St. Francis of Assisi grade school, and uh, our sisters taught us uh, in the school there. And so that was my first introduction. Well, actually, my very first introduction to the sisters was um, we only lived probably a half a mile from the school and the convent. And one day up the road came this mob of blackness coming toward us. And it was the sisters walking, about four of them. And uh, they were actually coming to our place because they wanted to ask if they could buy milk from us. Oh, and, wow. um, so that was my, uh, it was, it was interesting. Um, I know my mom said, I have to ask dad. And so um, indeed she did. And of course, dad had, and mom both had gone to grade school in the same school and had the sisters our sisters. And so we were, um, we were happy to be able to uh, bring milk to them. And the superior of the house kept asking my older sister to bring the bill for the milk. Mm -hmm. And of course, dad and mom would never send a bill to the sisters for the milk. (laughs) 
And so eventually one of the sisters cornered dad and at a parents club meeting or something and asked, so what, what's the bill? And dad said, would you please say three Hail Marys for my family every day? And indeed they did. And um, yeah. I attribute part of that to um, my call because <laughs> it was three Hail Marys and it was the sisters of St. Mary of Oregon that were praying for my family. So that's beautiful. Um, how long have the sisters of St. Mary of Oregon been in Oregon? When when did the community begin? We were founded in 1886. Wow. Okay. In Oregon. And at this point, we are the only religious community founded in Oregon, which may change in the future. Yeah, but yeah. at that point, we'll just say we were the first. Yeah, it's <laughs> not the only. So um, did you discern uh, a call of uh, religious life with this community in particular, like right out of high school? What did that look like? Yes, actually, when I was in high school, there were a couple of us who were talking about entering. And in those days, way back then, um, we entered right after high school for the most part. Okay. And um, it was a, um, it, it was, I, I would say I was on and off during my okay. high school years about um, going to the convent right after high school. Sure. I had an older sister who um, I, I don't know if she was very enthusiastic about that, but she <laughs> um, did not deter me, nor did my parents. In fact, I found okay. out after my parents had brought me to the convent on entrance day that my dad cried on the wow. way home. Wow. And Oh, dad didn't cry. So that was, I was glad I didn't find out about that until much later, because I think it would have affected me pretty strongly uh, at that point, if it would have been early on. But anyway, it's... Oh, had you, I'm curious, did you look at any other religious communities apart from these sisters? Well, you know, that's an interesting thing, because um, in this day and age, when I serve as a vocation director, I ask the people who are interested in my community to be sure and visit a couple of other communities just because I'm convinced that the the person has a charism just like the community has a charism yeah. and their task is to find where it matches. Mm -hmm. And because a long time ago I took a course for formation work and um the instructor said, don't think for one minute that you're going to teach the novices the charism. They have a charism and you, it needs to match your community. Otherwise, not, not such a happy outcome. No, so no. that's, so no, I didn't, but to answer your question, I did not go around to other communities. Mm -hmm. I remember uh, seeing a presentation when I was in high school by the Good Shepherd Sisters. Um, okay. They had come to talk with the, uh, the whole student body. But, you know, I, I only knew our sisters from grade mm -hmm. school and in high school because I came here to Beaverton for high school. So I, I, really liked them and um, enjoyed them. And I thought, I, I'd like to do what they do. I love that. And Sister Charlene, you mentioned this, uh, this question about a charism. Could you share with us what is the charism of your religious community? Uh, our charism is uh, we, the Sisters of St. Mary of Oregon, living as women of prayer in simplicity and sisterly love, are called to be joyful, compassionate servants of the Lord. 
Uh, what a beautiful charism and mission. How is that lived out? I know there's probably a variety of ways, Sister Charlene, but could you give us a few examples of how that charism is lived out? Well, for us, it's really important that um, the first um, article in our constitution talks about uh, how the early foundresses lived um, community, prayer, and service. And so we would say ministry in this day. So for us, that's still really important that we have a balance of prayer, community, and ministry. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, some days it's not so easy to have a good balance, but Mm -hmm. overall, that's the goal. So we have prayer time together as a community twice a day, uh, morning prayer and mass in the morning, and then um, vespers uh, at uh, in the evening and followed by dinner together. Now, back in the old days, there was not conversation at meals. Mm -hmm. And so after um, a meal, then dishes, of course, and then we would go to recreation for 45 minutes or an hour, play games or, you know, play cards, whatever, and um, or mend your socks. (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) Um, But now that we have conversation at meals, we have less um, formal times of recreation together. Um, but that's still part of the whole community building um, aspect. So we have community life, prayer life, and then ministry life. And even after we're, quote unquote, retired from our um general ministry, mine was education and okay. a few other things, um, there's still um, many things to to um, for the sisters to do it as a way of service to the people of God. Of course, yeah. Um, for those who are just tuning in, I am speaking with Sister Charlene Herrings, who serves as the vocation director for the Sisters of St. Mary of Oregon. So turning our direction, our, uh, turning our conversation to vocations, Sister, um, first of all, what would a vocations director for a religious community like yours, what, what does that involve? For me, it involves um, trying to uh, arrange situations where I can encounter uh, Mm -hmm. people who may um, have questions about Mm -hmm. religious life. Um, So that so I've visited parishes and I've had the display at parishes. I've gone to um, schools uh, Mm -hmm. to just to introduce the idea of discerning that Mm -hmm. um, I am a a staunch believer um, of what Vatican II said, that everybody has a vocation. Yeah. And um, it could be to married life or single life or consecrated life or ordained life. And that one is not better than another. It's just that one is best for you. And you, and I, my task is to help you um, discern that. And so we have and discernment group meetings and opportunities to visit the mother house and do different things so that people have an opportunity to add to their knowledge so that good decision making can be made. So yeah. prayer and knowledge go together to help make a decision about which direction to go. So for those gatherings for discernment, uh, would they come together then to, to pray maybe for a meal? Is there a talk of some sort? Because I imagine you want to introduce them, the young women, to as many uh, facets of community life as possible. Yes. We have what we call Sunday with the sisters, and uh, we have them scheduled 
monthly, except for in October, I didn't schedule one because the vocation directors of the region, all you know, Seattle on all around, are scheduling a virtual retreat of discernment. Okay. Uh, it's called uh, Exploring Sisterhood. Okay. And it's going to be uh, October 21st. It's a Saturday. And um, people can register um, for that. Actually, I don't have, I mean, I I don't have that really handy, but I could um, send that to to you and not a problem. We'll we'll direct our listeners to to that to more information, sister. Don't worry. All right, all right. And if they, they wanted to, rather than contact uh, anybody else, they could contact me asking for information about the virtual retreat for discernment, and I will send them the information. Perfect, sister. As you're meeting young women in the area who are perhaps looking at religious life, are you able to sense what's on their hearts and their minds? Maybe some of the questions and concerns that they have these days, and has that changed over time? Well, actually, yes, I've been vocation director before, and so it it is a different world right now for uh, vocations, to say the least. Um, I I think that for the most part now, um, people, uh, young women and men probably, are older before they make the decision. Mm. Uh, I know the statistics of a study that was done by CARA and the National Religious Vocation Conference indicated that the average age of people entering um, uh, for seminary or uh, religious life is 28. And so, you know, it's like 10 years later than when I entered, you know, so that, that is a lot of different questions. So as we meet with college students, you know, they're they're very concerned about finishing their program and mm. knowing, you know, what God might be asking them to do with the education that they have, which is another reason why um, people need to visit various communities so that they can ask that question of how will what I want to do with my life be able enable me to serve God and God's people. So, right. but yeah, let, can I go back to... Um, Sunday with the sisters. That's another, as I said, we don't have one scheduled for October, but we do for November and December. And uh, what we're doing on those Sundays is inviting people to come as early as 8.30 for morning prayer and then followed at 9 o'clock for mass. And then we'll have time uh, the rest of the morning to get acquainted and uh, get to know um, what they're thinking and um, introduce them to our sisters, and then we'll have lunch together. And at that point, you know, we're saying you're free to leave if you want, because people are so busy. You, It's kind of hard to say, give me your weekend, you know. Right, right. So we're trying to, we're starting small, I guess. And so uh, it will be wonderful to um, engage them, and hopefully they'll return, and we'll keep going from there. Yeah, and we're also we also have um, or working on at this point uh, scheduling a vocation discernment group at the University of Portland. Okay. We did last um, well January through April of uh, this year, and we haven't gotten started yet for this uh, fall. But hopefully, October twenty third will be our first um, vocation discernment group meeting at the University of Portland. That's wonderful. Sister, because I know St. Mary 
figures uh, prominently in your religious community. That's great. Are there other saints that you personally have gravitated towards or that the community has also gravitated towards in, in the history or just in your personal life too? Well, our secondary patron is St. Francis Xavier. So, um, and a lot for a long time, everyone thought that it was because the Jesuits were influential in helping to write our first constitution. Okay. But it goes back further than that because my community has a relationship or um, uh, it has history shared with the Sisters of the Precious Blood from Dayton, Ohio. And so, they had a devotion, the, the, uh, the missionaries, the men and the women, to um, uh, St. Francis Xavier because the founder of the men's community was very ill as a child. And his mother took him to the Jesuit church in Rome and prayed for his health. And mm-hmm. so I'm sure that mother was very influential on yeah. her son who recovered about St. Francis Xavier. And that has passed on to us. So we have that. But the other saint that I'm very, very, very fond of is St. Damien of Molokai. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, well, part of the reason is I because I'm half Belgian on my father's side of the family and um and also because he he was so amazing you know when he left belgium he knew he'd never see his mother again i I don't know that i i don't have that kind of strength but i admire him because he did and he did such wonderful work for the people there that were living in such squalor and and poor health yeah, and he served the, it was the the folks suffering from leprosy in Hawaii, right? Yeah, in, yeah. on the island of, they were exiled to the island of Molokai. Okay. And he served for 10 years on uh, in Hawaii, in other, on another island, um, and before he volunteered to go. And they were going to try to send uh, priests every I don't know, every few months they were going to trade them out. Well, he went first and then he said, I'll stay. And so, yeah. What a profile of courage and faith. Exactly. Yes. And it helps being half Belgium. (laughs) Belgium. (laughs) Yeah, true, true. But also uh, Sister Marianne Cope is a Franciscan sister who went there um, shortly before Damien died. So she actually was there when he died. But she carried on. Um, and now is a saint as well. And um, then there was a layman who, uh, his name is Joseph Dutton. Mm-hmm. And his, they're now beginning to pursue um, canonization for him as well. Both Sister Mary Ann and uh, Joseph Dutton never um, contracted leprosy. Wow. So that they, well, Sister Mary Ann was um, uh, somebody who really pushed strongly for um, hygiene in the in whenever she served the people both first in the hospital in uh, Honolulu and then there and I I think maybe um, Joseph was as careful as she was and they never contracted the disease wow um sister we've got a couple minutes left and I always love to ask my guest uh, where you've seen signs of hope around you these days. Uh, what can you share with us? Well, you know, I, I know that um, people are, many people are very concerned about so many things. Yeah. 
um, in the world of um, politics or environment and all of that. But my signs of hope come from trying to find stories, newscasts that emphasize the positive and what is being done. Um, this week, for example, was um, all of, on the early morning news is all about um, electric cars. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the very fact that that's being broadcast gives me hope that we're not going to destroy our earth. And we'll, we'll and then, um, of course, Pope Francis is coming out with a, a new um, document mm-hmm. on October 4th. And so I, I, that gives me hope that people are concerned and that we can find the positive stories about what is happening and that people are very interested in uh, looking at what God is calling them to do, no matter, you know, which um, vocation it is that, mm-hmm. um, that they want to do what God is calling them to do to serve and um, to be available to people in need. Well, I know with, each religious community I see, I, I, I see signs of hope there. So thank you for your thank witness as well, Sister Charlene. Thank you so much for your time today. And may God continue to bless you and your ministry. Take care. Thank you. Thank you so much for your ministry. Thank you very much. One of Sister Charlene's comments about charisms brought to mind a passage from Pope Francis's 2019 exhortation to young people, where he wrote, I want you to know that when the Lord thinks of each of you and what He wants to give you, He sees you as His close friend. And if He plans to grant you a grace, a charism that will help you live to the full and become someone who benefits others, someone who leaves a mark in life, it will surely be a gift that will bring you more joy and excitement than anything else in this world. Not because that gift will be rare or extraordinary, but because it will perfectly fit you. It will be a perfect fit for your entire life. In another homily, the Holy Father shared some comments intended especially for those discerning consecrated life. He tells us, Today's frantic pace leads us to close many doors to encounter, often for fear of others. Only shopping malls and internet connections are always open. Yet that is not how it should be with consecrated life. May we never look at the screen of our cell phone more than the eyes of our brothers or sisters, or focus more on our software than on the Lord. For whenever we put our own projects, methods, and organization at the center, consecrated life stops being attractive. It no longer speaks to others. It no longer flourishes because it forgets its very foundations, its very roots. And lastly, the Holy Father had this to say about vocation. The joy of the gospel, which makes us open to encountering God and our brothers and sisters, does not abide our slowness and our sloth. It will not fill our hearts if we keep standing by the window with the excuse of waiting for the right time, without accepting this very day the risk of making a decision. Vocation is today. The Christian mission is now. Each one of us is called, whether to the lay life in marriage, to the priestly life in the ordained ministry, or to a life of special consecration, in order to become a witness of the Lord here and now. We should not wait to be perfect in order to respond with our generous yes, nor be fearful of our limitations and sins, but instead open our hearts to the voice of the Lord. 
Thank you so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Miriam Marston, and I hope you'll join me next time as we continue to hear stories of how God is at work in our world today. Until then, stay well and stay close to Christ. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. For more information on Miriam Marston and her work, plus an archive of our past shows, Visit us online at matradayradio.com or download the Hail Mary Media app. Blazing the Trail is produced at the studios of Matraday Radio in Portland, Oregon. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through matradayradio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.